The reading is from John chapter 9, verse 35 to chapter 10, verse 10, and is on page 1076 of the Church Bibles and on the screen. Despite way of background to this passage, Jesus had healed a man born blind. That healing was then investigated by the Pharisees, and the investigation ended by the Pharisees throwing the healed man out. And this passage comes off to that episode. So starting at John chapter 9, verse 35. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, He is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, What, are we blind too? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him. And the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them. And his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech But the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. This is the word of God. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and redeemer. Good evening. Uh, Thank you, Jamie, for that introduction. I remember him well at school, actually. Um, there you go. Um, I was, I've been involved in, in leading Cheltenham Backheath Christian Fellowship. I think it's 37 years now, actually. It gets frightening as you get further on into it. Um, Cheltenham Blackheath began with a group of people who came from this church. And uh, it, many of them have been part of an independent youth group that, that I'd been leading. One of, the, one of the blessings that we've experienced over the years 
is that we've always had a good relationship between CBCF and St John's. And I've been privileged to have friendship and fellowship with every vicar uh, since that, that time, back in 1980, whatever it was, 86, I think. Um, Jamie mentioned my, my wider role in, with the Borough Deans, which is quite an important um, activity from my point of view. Um, it also involves me being in, in sort of connecting with regional leaders, of, as far as the Anglican Church is concerned, with Bishop Christopher and, of course, with um, Bishop Carraway, uh, whose uh, sad passing we've just heard about. Um, he, was, he was a man of God, uh, and I had, I had the deepest respect and affection for him. My background is education. I was a teacher for 30 years. Um, and uh, continually involved with Blackheath Blue Coat School for 45 years. Um, I was head of music, head of sixth form deputy head, so I had a, a, a whole load of different roles. Um, and I'm still involved with, um, with education. I'm chair of governors at a school in Thamesmead, a primary school, and I'm also a trustee of the Trinitas Church of England Academy Trust, which we have seven schools and... Your church warden is our is the clerk to our trustees. So it's um, that's me. Short version of a long story. When Eddie asked me to uh, to speak tonight, he gave me the title, "I am the gate." In some versions of the Bible, it would say, "I am the door." And I understand this is part of a series of talks around the "I am" sayings. I am the bread of life, I am the light of the world, I am the gate, I am the good shepherd, I am the resurrection and the life, I am the way, the truth and the life, and I am the true vine. Seven uh, statements, and I gather you've had two already and this is number three. And I don't know what's gone before, um, because obviously I didn't hear it, but I thought it would be just useful to say a little bit about John's Gospel um, because all these, these statements are in John's Gospel. Um, and John's Gospel is, is just slightly different to the, the other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, which we call the Synoptic Gospels. Those three are alike in structure and content and wording and present a similar portrait of Jesus, a narrative. Um, and they tend to be written uh, from an eyewitness account um, and whereas John, who, yes, he was a, a, an eyewitness, is writing much later in time. And uh, is a, it, his is a much more reflective and some would say a more theological uh, gospel. Uh, the synoptics tend to concentrate on his Galilean ministry. John uh, concentrates on Jesus' ministry uh, in Jerusalem. He's often called the evangelist. And there's a very good reason for this, because he portrays Jesus very clearly as the God and Saviour. And uh, he highlights the need for humanity to put their faith in him. Uh, he reveals his purpose in a very clear statement at the end of his Gospel. And uh, John chapter 20, verse 30 says this, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing 
you may have life in his name. You couldn't get a clearer purpose for the gospel than what John has given himself. And so the I am sayings are very significant because Jesus is linking himself with the the ever-present God who's not only responsible for creation but also for redemption of the people of Israel. Uh, He revealed himself to Moses, of course, with those words, I am who I am. Uh, He's a redeemer God who's incarnated in Jesus and has come to set his people free, free from sin. And when Jesus applied the title, I am, to himself, he's speaking uh, to the Jews in a way that they would understand. They would know what he was talking about. Um, In John 8, 58, for example, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So he wasn't just a helper to God. He wasn't just a great teacher. He's the divine, eternal, pre-existent, infinite God. He's Israel's God. He's greater than Moses because he's the God of Moses. He has life in himself and he can give life to us. And the Jews knew taking on this title was making a claim to be God because when he said that verse that we just quoted, some of them picked up stones to try to kill him because they thought he was blaspheming. So the seven I am statements in John might be best understood as falling under and echoing this initial and ultimate claim of Jesus. He is God. He is the divine, the eternal, pre-existent, infinite God. And all the Old Testament references and and things about his redemptive acts in, in the Old Testament all point to the coming of Jesus as God in the flesh coming to the true people of God and the the fulfilment of those Old Testament types and shadows are all found in Jesus. The writer to the Hebrew, of course, Hebrew says this, he says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. Throughout the Bible, Jesus Christ is the same. And if you look carefully in the Old Testament, you can find Jesus. And so the I am sayings represent some of the deepest truths in the gospel. I'm not going to steal anyone's thunder by talking about any of the other ones, but um, I'm going to just look at I am the gate. Could you change the thing, please, Noah? Thanks. So we heard the the reading from uh, John, and the context of it, as you heard, was that Jesus has healed a blind man, Uh, Pharisees didn't like it there was a whole big bust up and uh, Jesus is addressing them um, calling them thieves and robbers and all sorts of things Um, so our saying tonight is I am the gate John 10.9 says I am the gate whoever enters through me will be saved they will come in and go out and find pasture and Jesus was replying to the Pharisees and he's giving them this picture that they didn't really understand. Effectively, Jesus is saying, yeah, you're spiritually blind. You don't get it. You haven't got it. And uses this illustration of the sheepfold. Now that picture is somebody's attempt to represent what a Middle Eastern sheepfold might have been like. Um, 
it was, it was a walled enclosure with a gap where the entrance was. Um, I think it would probably have had all sorts of sort of thorns and stuff on the top of the the the, um, the walls as well, because it was it was designed to keep the predators out, and it was a communal sheepfold. So in the village, all the sheep from all the various shepherds all go into the one shep- one sheepfold, and then there is a watchman or a gatekeeper. Um, and you see that there, there doesn't seem to have been a physical gate, but the watchman sleeps across the, the gate entrance there. Um, he's the one that lets people in and out, and he keeps the predators out. It's, it's, a, it's a great illustration. It's to protect the sheep after a day of grazing. And of course, sheep are totally dependent on their shepherd, um, Predators such as wolves and other animals were out to kill the sheep uh, and they were particularly active at night. But they couldn't penetrate the sheepfold and uh, the gatekeeper would sleep across the entrance protecting them. And then in the morning, all the shepherds in the village would come down to the sheepfold um, and they would call their sheep And the sheep knew their shepherd's voice. And so when a shepherd called his sheep, only his sheep would come and he would take them out. And each shepherd had a group of sheep and he was able to call them because they recognised his voice. Even though they were all mixed up together, they would all get unmixed when their shepherds called them. Um, Effectively, Jesus, of course, is contrasting himself with the Pharisees, the thieves and the robbers, whose voices the sheep would not recognise. He was not only the shepherd, but he's saying, I am the gate, I am the door to the sheepfold. And therefore Jesus said again, this is verse 7, I tell you the truth. I love that. If you look at the uh, authorised version, that's a, a verily, verily, I say unto you. Uh, from the, uh, from the um, authorised version. I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved, and they will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Pharisees didn't get it. They were spiritually blind. What about you? Do you get it? Are your eyes spiritually opened? The picture of Jesus himself being the way in, being the gate. It's a powerful picture. The sheepfold represents a a place of safety, salvation, ultimate safety. Jesus is the way in. He offers us salvation and he would die upon the cross to secure it. There's only one entrance, Jesus himself. He makes this crystal clear in verse 9 when he says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. 
And then, of course, in verse 10, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. King James Version then says, have it abundantly. So Jesus is not a gate. He's not a door. He is the gate, the only gate. And the I am sayings make this very clear. Uh, a, late, uh, a later one that you'll get a few weeks down the line is, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. It's very clear from John's Gospel what is being said there. There is only one way, there is one entrance, and that is Jesus. Charles Spurgeon put it like this. You may knock at a thousand doors. You may cry and pray and groan and agonize and sweat, even to drops of blood. But there is only one door to heaven, and that door is faith in Jesus Christ. If you will not enter by that door, God himself will not open another. It's very exclusive. It's a dirty word these days, isn't it? Exclusive. But this is exclusive. And it's what the Bible says. Because the Bible is exclusive. Whether you like it or not, it is. It may not be, it may not be very hip in, in our modern times, and it may not be politically correct, but it's the truth. Because I believe the Bible is the word of God and is infallible and the truth. So Jesus will guide us. He's not only the gate, he actually then will guide us. Once we've entered through the gate, we can look to Jesus to guide us. Have you heard the voice of the shepherd? It's the gateway to real life, real security, eternal life. Going through the gate leads to the way ahead. It's just the beginning. The entrance is the beginning. It's the beginning to the rest of our lives. Verse 9 again, remember it said, I am the gate, whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. We find pasture in Jesus. Pasture is where the, where the sheep were sort of getting all the things they needed. They, they got, you know, the grass and uh, the water and all the things that they needed to live their lives. And if we enter through Jesus, then we will be fed with spiritual food. And once we've entered into this sheepfold, just like those sheep in the story, we will know the voice of the Lord. And you should be expecting to hear the voice of the Lord. He will lead us. Psalm 23 says it. He guides us in the ways of righteousness. I also love Psalm. I love Psalms. I'm, I'm, I'm well into Psalms. Psalm 86, the psalmist says this, Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. Have you got an undivided heart? That means that you're completely set on the Lord Jesus and you're not drawn away by other stuff. There's so much stuff out there um, that can divide our hearts. 
It's so easy to find all the sort of worldly concerns around us. They come crashing in, distracting us from the true and only way. So much of the world can distract us from following Jesus, building up our relationship with him. I think it's even worse in these days of social media because the distraction that can come from all the various forms of, of social media are just, well, they're just, you know, there's so many of them. We need to have an undivided heart so that our heart is set on the Lord Jesus. Then there's Psalm 48. I came across this the other day, and this is, this is my verse of the month. Um, it's, it's one that keeps popping up. I keep using it. I keep sharing it. So I thought I ought to get it in here. And it is, a, it, it, it is relevant. Psalm 48. I don't know if you know Psalm 48. It starts off, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And it goes on and talks about the way that God is going to be protecting Jerusalem. Um, it was at a time when the Ammonites were sort of knocking on their door, I think, and all sorts of other stuff was going on. And so this psalm is all about that. But it gets, when you get to the very last verse in the psalm, it's Psalm 48, verse 14, there is this, this line, and this really grabbed me when I, got, I saw this. And I must have read it hundreds of times before, but for some reason or other, it just grabbed me. For this God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even to the end. I'm going to say that again. For this God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even to the end. The uh, authorised version says even unto death. That's a fantastic verse, and it really sort of encapsulates that Jesus is our guide. He will be our guide. This God, Jesus, is our guide, and he will be our guide, even unto death, even to the end. So entering by the gate is just the beginning of the way for us. What Isaiah calls in Isaiah 35, the highway of holiness, where only the redeemed will walk. The word holiness implies being separated from, out, from all the world's influences and being separated unto God, unto the Lord Jesus. One of my favourite old hymns is, um, I thought I had it with me, but I haven't. All to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him in his presence, ever live. Amazing uh, hymn. And another of my favourite old hymns that rarely sung these days is Jesus Calls Us All the Tumult. Jesus calls us all the tumult in our life's wild, restless sea. Day by day, his sweet voice soundeth, saying, Christian, follow me. Jesus calls us from the worship of the vain world's golden store, from each idol that would keep us, saying, Christian, love me more. It's a great hymn. Uh, I had to write a new tune for it because the old tune was so miserable, but um, it's, it's, a wonderful, it's a wonderful hymn. So we need to remember that the gate has two functions. It lets you in and it keeps the enemies out. So that's Jesus, the gate. He is the way in, but he's also 
the way that we can keep our enemies at bay, keep the predators out. When we're in the sheepfold with Jesus, he will protect us from those who who seek to steal and kill and destroy. Um, In fact, in that passage I mentioned in Isaiah 35, it's worth having a look at Isaiah 35, Highway of Holiness. Um, In that passage, he says, no lion will be there on that highway, nor will any ferocious beast get onto it. So the sheepfold is is a safe place where we can be protected from all the assaults of the enemy and there's no better place to be. So have I sold you the gate? Okay. You have to come through the gate. And I dare I say, if you've never come through the gate of Jesus, if you've never done that, well, you need to do it. Um, can I have the last slide, please, now? In conclusion... Everyone who believes the gospel and repents of their sin and puts their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is assured of having entered by the gate into the fold. The gate, of course, is Jesus himself, and they are assured of salvation. Have you got assurance of salvation? It's one of the things that as a pastor, you come across quite a bit with people getting worried and feeling they haven't got that assurance of salvation. But the Word of God tells us, you know, that if we put our trust in the Lord, if we believe in Him, then we can be assured of our salvation. It's the beginning of a journey. It's a journey of amazing love and life, of abundant love and life. Because the the love was amazing because Jesus demonstrated it to us through the cross and then through the life that he embraced when he was resurrected. And that's the message of the Bible. We have a gospel to proclaim and that is it. It's Jesus. He's the way. He's the gate. Love and life are yours if you enter by the gate. And so I pray that John's purpose in writing this gospel may be fulfilled in our hearts and in our lives. And to quote him, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, your most precious and holy word. We thank you for the truth. And we thank you for Jesus, for the gate, the way into your kingdom. We pray, Lord, that by your Holy Spirit you will move in our hearts tonight and draw us closer to him. And help us to build our relationship with him. And Lord, I pray that if any here tonight do not know that relationship with Jesus, that you will speak into their hearts and bring that word which will open the gate for them and lead them in. And I just want to commit all of us now to you in the mighty name of Jesus.
our precious Saviour, Redeemer and Lord. Amen.